Well, good morning. Morning. Oh, there we go. All right. Now you sound like my church. Welcome. Welcome to 116 Bible Church. Uh, I'm not going to bother introducing myself because I know every single face in here. So, nice to see you again. Um, thank you so much for gathering with us um, on this Lord's Day. Uh, it is a wonderful, blessed opportunity that we too often take for granted, um, that we too often treat far too casually. Um, this is a blessed opportunity. This is essentially a weekly family reunion. We get to come together and we get to worship and serve the one true living God. And we get to do so by his grace, with his blessing. And we get to do so to the praise and honor of the one who saved us. The one who dragged us out of death and brought us into life. Who dragged us out of darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. And we should not treat that flippantly or casually. So thank you for the saints who have gathered here today. Um, we shall continue on our trek through 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bible or your device with the Bible app, you may turn to 1 Samuel. We are beginning chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. And this morning we will be in the first five verses. 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1 and ending in verse 5. If you have found it and you are able, I do that I ask that you would please stand in the honor of the reading of the word of our Lord and Savior. Again, that is 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> and the word of God says, now Samuel said to all Israel, Indeed, I have heeded your voice in all that you said to me, and have made a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you, and I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am. Witness against me before the Lord, and before his anointed, whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore it to you. And they said, You have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this beautiful, blessed opportunity that you have given us, Lord, another day in your creation where we get to not simply individually or privately, but where we corporately get to gather together and we get to sing your praises. We get to worship and, and serve you and we get to spur one another on the holiness, Lord. God, may that May that be why we're here. May it be for the, for the glorification of your name and for the good of our brothers and sisters. 
And Lord, may this time be blessed and sanctified and may your spirit, which you have so freely and graciously poured out on us, may your spirit lead us in, in truth and in love so that our worship <coughs> may be made holy and fitting for your sight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so real quick, let's do a little recap of uh, where we've been so far in the book of Samuel. Um, I'm not going to go all the way back to the beginning. Um, we, uh, we've gotten pretty far along from there, so we'll just do a quick recap over <clears throat> what's happened recently. And recently, um, what's most pertinent to, uh, or what's most immediate, rather, around the context of our passage today is um, there's a man named Samuel who has been uh, serving before the Lord, uh, who was dedicated from his childhood to serve before the presence of the Lord. Um, and he was essentially raised up to basically the last judge of Israel. Um, and he functioned in that capacity for a while, um, having even a little circuit that he would ride around to different towns on um, in order to hear disputes, make uh, decisions, uh, lead the people in worship, things like that. And um, as he got older, he couldn't do it all. So he, um, rather than waiting for the Lord to raise up a leader to come after him, he appointed his sons as judges as well. Um, and the judgeship wasn't exactly a family business, so not the best move for, uh, for Samuel. But he did it anyways, uh, and his sons, as it turns out, weren't all that great. Um, and the people came asking for a king, and we talked about... Um, not just the kind of king they were asking, but the reason they were asking for a king. And it wasn't, it wasn't to facilitate their worship better. It wasn't so that they could, uh, they could be instructed more efficiently in the ways of the Lord. No, they wanted a king because all the other nations had a king. I mean, so obviously they, they thought they should have a king. Um, and, uh, this, displeased Samuel, we'll put it that way. Uh, and uh, But God told him to do what the people asked and that he would give them the king that they thought they wanted. And that's exactly what he did in the person of Saul. And as we are introduced to Saul, <clears throat> first impression was underwhelming, uh, to say the least. Um, man looking for his father's lost donkeys and not really systematically searching, not really having a plan, just kind of wandering to and from. Just, if I find him, that's great. If not, whatever. Um, they'll show up eventually, probably. I don't know. Um, but that's, that's the Saul we meet. Um, and that is the Saul who God had chose to be the first human king over Israel. And... Um, but through such an unlikely individual, God still did marvelous things. Um, it's been said God can hit a straight lick with a crooked stick, and he sure did. 
Um, they they don't get much more crooked than old Saul, but to be honest, they don't get much more crooked than me either. So, um, but uh, God uh, did some mighty things, delivering the people of Israel out of the hands, uh, as we just read recently, uh, or just went through recently in uh, chapter eleven, um, from Nahash the Ammonite, um, and delivering the people uh, of Israel from them at Gilgal, uh, and then. That brings us to our passage today. So, uh, following this delivery that God does through Saul, um, Saul is essentially reconfirmed as king. Um, so much so that the people are uh, are so ecstatic, so overcome with joy and excitement that they say, "Who are these worthless men who said Saul will not be our king? Let's drag him out and and uh, teach him what for and." Uh, Saul puts the puts a stop to that because he wanted it to be a time of rejoicing. Um, and then Samuel stands up, possibly, possibly at the same function, maybe, uh, maybe at another function. Um, but then Samuel comes to the people of Israel and he says, "Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said to me, and have made a king over you." Now, I imagine that Samuel probably still has trouble saying that with a smile on his face. Um, because he knows what that meant. He knows what they're asking for a king and the reason they were asking for a king and the king they were asking for what that meant. And it wasn't, as, we, as I mentioned earlier and as we've said previously, it wasn't for the good of the people and the glory of God, it was to be like everybody else. And I've, I've said it multiple times, and I'll say it again, just because it's a great picture. They wanted the guy who looked good in the suit of armor leading the battle. And so that's what God gave him. God gave him the tall, good-looking guy who fills out that suit of armor and who looks the part He's, he's a real picture-perfect sight. But instead of being the king after God's own heart, he's the king who is the one that they wanted. He's the king who, like all the kings in the area, and as was foretold in the books of Moses, would come in and he would take their belongings, he would take their land, he would take their sons and their daughters to do with as he pleased. And so Samuel stands up in front of Israel and he says, I have listened to your request. And in fact, I have done what you have asked. Against my protests, Against my better judgment, I have done what you ask. Uh, what he may not be saying, <laughs> reminding them of um, all explicitly, uh, but only at the request of God have I fulfilled your request. And in doing so, have made a king over you. Even though that means you have rejected God as your king. And you have rejected the rulers that he himself 
has appointed and raised up. You have rejected him in favor of this king that you so desperately wanted. And because God told me to, I did it. This is a gentle reminder of God's grace and sometimes giving us exactly what we think we want so that we can see how badly we really didn't want it. That it wasn't wasn't everything we thought it would be. It didn't meet all of the needs we thought it would because it wasn't what he had decreed for us. It's not what he had for us. It is instead what we wanted for ourselves. Had we wanted instead what God wanted for us, not only would we be fulfilled, not only would we be satisfied, we would be the better off for it, but God in his his wisdom and in his, and even in his mercy, will sometimes give us those things that we so desperately want. So that the consequences can open our eyes to the fact that, oh wow, I had no idea what I was asking for. In fact, I don't know what's best for me at all. I should trust in the one who provides for me. And in fact, much later in this speech, that Samuel is giving, he goes, he really goes into that. He goes into the faithfulness of God and God's providing for his people and giving them the things that they need in such a way as to bring them out of captivity, to deliver them from the hands of their enemies, from the, from persecution. And their response is instead to reject him. I don't know about you, but I have family who who did get what they wanted. And it did not lead to their sanctification. It didn't lead to their salvation. It led to their destruction. I have a feeling I'm not the only one that has seen that. But it isn't sometimes giving us exactly what we want. That God separates those who are His from those who are not. So Samuel says, Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said, and I have made a king over you. I gave you what you wanted. And don't think that just because Every single one of you is named an Israelite. That you are by default part of God's people. Because in fact, it is in doing this that God separates his people from those who are only giving lip service 
from those who are simply calling themselves Christian because it is advantageous in their family situation. It's getting less, less so common today, but maybe in their work situation. Or because my daddy's daddy's daddy was a pastor, preacher, teacher, Sunday school teacher, music leader, gave them attendance numbers Sunday morning if you went to a Southern Baptist church like I did. It's been said God has many kids, but he has zero grandkids. So we cannot rely on those family connections. We cannot rely on that because on the final day when we stand before him, we're not going to be able to say, my daddy was a, was a pastor. But I taught Sunday school. But I come from a long line of preachers to evangelists. We can't rely on that. So now as Samuel is standing in front of all of Israel, and remember, the meaning, Israel, strives with God. As he's standing in front of the people called by God's very name, he is reminding them that in what they've asked for, they have rejected God. And as Christians, we can so often fall into that temptation, getting tired of waiting on whatever God has for us and just wanting what we want what we now. But instead... In choosing what we want over what God wants for us, we are, in a sense, rejecting God. And we are setting over ourselves a different king. A king of our own choosing, and not a king of God's choosing. And then Samuel goes on to say, and now here is the king walking before you. Your translation may say, serving, serving you, um, serving among you, um, standing before you. The idea simply here being that here's the, here's the king you asked for, doing exactly what you asked him to do. Here he is. He's doing it. And Samuel says, and I am old and gray-headed, and look, my sons are with you. <laughs> I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. Now remember, we met Samuel's sons in a previous chapter. I believe it was chapter 8. And um, they did not follow the footsteps of their father and the way they led Israel. Instead, they were out for selfish gain. And in fact, we're about to see, essentially, um, essentially a long list of things that uh, Samuel's sons did that Samuel's alluding to and saying, have I ever done these things? 
But Samuel's saying he is old and gray-headed. He's saying, I'm getting up there. And it is clear that the mantle of leadership has passed for me, uh, that I can't do this forever. And Samuel's saying, my plan was to have my son continue. Um, and here they are. And essentially he's presenting his sons for... Kind of not, kind of for judgment, for trial. Uh, he's saying, "Here are my sons, the ones you have a problem with. If there is a charge against them, bring it here before God and before your King, the Lord's anointed, to witness. And if if it can be proven, deal with them as necessary." Samuel saying, "However, I have walked before you from my childhood." To this day, service before the Lord is all Samuel ever knew. From the time he was weaned from his mother, to this day, all he knew was the service of the Lord. Serving, uh, serving in the, um, serving in the tabernacle before the high priest. And even, as it turns out, one day pronouncing God's judgment against that high priest as a young boy. And then going on to uh, be raised up to judgeship and to leading a nation and then be rejected. This whole, this whole speech that Samuel does here throughout all of chapter 12 um, is, is serving a couple of purposes. It's serving as a reminder to the people of Israel, but it's also kind of serving as an opportunity for Samuel to, to bring to these, the people of Israel an opportunity to lay a charge against him if one exists, but really to remind them how faithfully he has served. And he says, I have walked before you from my childhood to this day. What a wonderful testimony. Sometimes the most beautiful testimonies are in fact those where service is all the individual has ever known. We, we get so, we tend to be taken in by these um, road to Damascus type testimonies, don't we? We tend to get taken in by those and like, wow, that's amazing. Glory to God, that is wonderful. And yes, that is absolutely, it is amazing when God takes somebody who lives so blatantly and hostilely against his word and transforms them radically into one of his children. That is a beautiful testimony, but one that is just as beautiful is the child who was raised in the way that he should have gone and never departed from it. The child who, with faithful parents, was raised in in church to follow Christ whose parents poured into him prayed over them and loved them and did what they could to teach them the ways of God and to one day get to see the fruit of that labor and watching that child come to faith that 
is a beautiful testimony, not of simply God's saving power supernaturally, but of the safeguards and the processes God has put in place to raise up children to follow Christ. Those testimonies are equally beautiful. Those testimonies are equally powerful. Those testimonies show the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of his people. So Samuel says, I have walked before you from childhood to this day. He says, I know no other life than to serve my God by serving you. And then the next verse begins with some words that are very familiar for Samuel. Here I am. Your translation may say, here am I. He says the same words that he was instructed to say by the high priest Eli the night that God raised him up and ordained him for full active service. And by and in doing so, pronouncing judgment on the house of Eli. He says those same words. This is this is a powerful literary device. This takes the reader in this case us, back to some of the meanings. The two are inextricably linked by these three English words, here I am. So Samuel is essentially announcing his, not really his retirement, um, but his, uh, his official passing of the baton of leadership. He's saying, with, with this, the age of the judges is coming to an end, and the age of the monarchy in Israel has begun. And just as in the beginning of this book, when he was presenting himself for service to the Lord, he is now presenting himself for scrutiny and trial before the people, and before God, and before their new king. <clears throat> He says, here I am, witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. The anointed here, in this case, being the king. Um, but the language is, uh, because of the language, um, we can see, you know, the monarchy obviously pointing forward to Christ. But in this instance, Samuel's referring specifically to King Saul. And he's saying, witness against me before the Lord. He's saying, he's saying, any charges you have against me, bring them now. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe? 
with which to blind my eyes, I will restore it to you. Now these these questions that Samuel was asking, some translations and some study Bibles, uh, they stretch it a little bit too far and, and to the point where they say he's essentially asking, anything wrong I've ever done, um, bring it now. But the questions he's really asking aren't geared towards anything wrong, but towards his position. Have I abused my power? at your expense in any way. Why? Because we know he has done something wrong. He just pointed to them. It's his kids standing up there and he appointed to judgeship rather than waiting for the Lord to raise up uh, leaders to follow after him. But he says, whose ox or donkey have I taken? And immediately that can reference us back to, well, the king, when he was gathering up men to go to Gilgal and deliver the people, threatened their oxen. <laughs> he said, I'm going he hacked up his own oxen and said, I'm going to do the same to yours if you don't come and fight with me. But more broadly, we go back to Eli's sons. Who, when a sacrifice was being made, not only... We're not content with the portion set aside for the priests, but instead would take their meat hook and shove it into the pot or the cauldron or whatever, and whatever it pulled out, they would claim that too. And if you remember, that passage went on to say that this was so prevalent and this was such a problem that it caused the people to abhor to despise the offerings of the Lord. But he's saying, Who have I, whose oxen or donkey have I taken? Whose, whose property have I stolen from you? Who have I cheated? Your translation may say wrong. That's okay. Who have I cheated? Who have I swindled out of more than they should? Who have I told to bring more to the Lord than they can afford? Who have I told to bring more to the Lord so I can have more? Whom whom have I oppressed? Or from whose hand have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? Your translation may say something to the effect of um, to to overlook a wrong. He says, I will restore it to you. He's saying, who have I abused with my position and my power that God has given me? Anyone? Have I done this to anyone? He knows the answer. The answer is no. And the people know the answer. They say, you have not cheated us or oppressed us, nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Who have I defrauded? In the book of Moses, 
the people of Israel are warned that their king will take things from them. So with these questions, Samuel is pointing back to the behavior of some previous judges and priests and rulers. He is also pointing back to what the, what the book of Moses says a king will do. And he's saying, you were not content with the leadership God had for you. You were not content with God being your king and him raising up individuals to lead you in his way. You instead wanted a king for yourself. So now, because you, choose, you have rejected the, the rulership, the leadership of God and his chosen rulers, what you have experienced here, see what I'm saying, what you have experienced since I have been in service before the Lord, you're not going to get that anymore. But he is instead found, but Samuel is found innocent in all these in all of these. The people said, You have not done any of these things. You haven't, you haven't abused, defrauded, oppressed us in any way. They're saying, in fact, you're a pretty stand-up guy. And what we have here for us today. is the goal. May this be said of each and every one of us who calls ourselves Christians. May this be said especially of each and every one of us whom God has raised up and ordained to lead God's people. I read this list and I hope that could be said about me. I read this list and I wonder, does anybody think I've wronged them in any way like this? And this isn't a question simply for, for church leadership to ask themselves. This is a question for Christians to ask ourselves in our dealings with our brothers and sisters in Christ and in our dealings with the outside world. Are we weighing with unjust measures? Are we using are we using the name Christian and all of this Christian ease lingo to make people a to make people feel as comfortable as possible while we rob them blind? May that not be said of any of God's children. May that not be said of anyone who calls himself a Christian. But there are there are plenty of false teachers and charlatans Wave the flag of Christ and use it to make themselves rich and fat off of the blood and the money 
and a trust of God's people. I live within spitting distance of one of them. And my friend, there should be nothing in this world, in this creation, that makes God's people angrier than when Christ's name is used for someone's bank account. This is not something God's people should simply look the other way on and say, it'll even out in the end. Instead, may we warn everyone. May we warn all those who may possibly be sucked into this deception. May we warn all those who may fall prey to these predators. There was some talk earlier this week. I say talk. It was digital. Some chat, I guess. In the men's chat. About the difference between dealing with those who are deceived and those who are actively deceived. And there is a difference. The Bible calls for a difference. Those who are deceived we speak the truth and we speak it in love and gentleness for as long and as often as we can. When we are dealing with deceivers, <clears throat> deceivers are a threat and a danger to the people of God, particularly to those who are new to the faith. So we deal with deceivers much more harshly than we deal with those who are simply deceived. It doesn't mean we don't do it in love. It doesn't mean we don't do it courteously and respectfully. But it means we do it sternly and without compromise. That is what we are called to. Because those who fly the banner of Christ simply to profit, they are not fellow sheep. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they should be driven out. And Samuel here is asking the people of Israel if this has been me bring it before God and before his anointed 
today. And I will restore it. He's taking that upon himself to make restitution to anyone he has wronged or oppressed or abused with his position and power. And the people said, you have not cheated us, nor have you oppressed us, and nor have you taken a bribe from any man's hand. May that be what the people, the people of God, and those around us who know us and deal with us, may that be their testimony about us. May that be their witness on our behalf. They, they may not like all everything we have to say, but may they take no issue with the way we treated them and the way we set whatever it is they don't like. Then Samuel replied, The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, He is witness. While this should be our, this should be what we're striving for. Living in harmony, especially within the family of God. And doing so to the best of our ability, suffering wrong so that we may do no wrong, if it comes to that. This is the goal. My brother and sister, if you haven't been told yet, allow me to be the first. You're going to fail. You're going to hurt somebody. Somebody's going to hurt you. That doesn't make it right. It just means we're all being sanctified. We're all still in the process of becoming the people that God has called his people to be. And friends and family, that process is not going to be finished this side of heaven's gates. But where we fail, the one about whom this can be said without qualification, without footnote, and without explanation, Jesus Christ, he succeeds where we have failed. So when you have wronged someone, Intentionally or unintentionally, it happens. It's happened, I'm sure, since I woke up this morning. Lean on Christ. Look to Him. Look to God's truly anointed. And rather than Him, rather than Him standing witness against you, He will stand as witness on your behalf. My brother and sister, when you have been wronged, even when you have been wronged by another brother or sister, somebody who calls themselves a Christian, and if it hasn't happened yet, it will. 
look all the more intensely to Christ. Lean all the more heavily on him. And know that if he can forgive us, then his forgiveness can flow through us to the family of faith. Because outside of that name, there is no forgiveness. Not for them, not for you, not for me. But there is only that one name given under heaven by which man must be saved. And that is the name of Jesus Christ. So when you have done the hurting or when you have are the one who has been hurt, look to Christ. Lean on him. Trust him wholly. Don't let that hurt become bitterness and anger and hate. Don't let that happen. Because that is not the way of God's people. Let that hurt drive you to your knees in prayer and in praise and in worship saying, thank you God for having mercy on even me, a sinner. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for this beautiful, blessed time. Lord, for these for these five verses, Lord, that at face value talk about the faithful service of a, of a single man, one of yours, in times gone by. But Lord, by your spirit, these five verses contain so much truth. So much revelation that your people need today. May your spirit take these words, take this truth, and make us holy as you are holy. And conform us more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>